you to be, I invite you to be seated and also to pray with me this morning. Gracious and loving God, we gather around your table, having sung songs of praise and listened to your scriptures read, to continue to hear a word from you, that you might transform us by your love into your grace. So may the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord, our God. Amen. So as I mentioned before, we're week two of the series, and last week we had a scripture reading from the book of Exodus, which seemed really obscure for us thinking about how we might learn from the Bible about gathering around the table. Because, you know, it was about the lamb's blood being put over the doorposts and about God's presence passing over the people of God. But we began to talk a little bit about that meal known as Passover and and how it served the community of faith known as the Jewish people or the people of Israel and how that had been passed down from generation to generation. And we talked specifically about the power that that meal had, not just to be a holiday that they celebrated together, but to root themselves as a people of God, reliant on God. You know, it was their identity was found at the table with one another. And what I found super fascinating as I've been looking into this scripture for this Sunday is how this is literally like 13,000 years after it was originally instituted in Exodus. The Passover meal amongst the Jewish people began as they moved out of the land of Egypt, and then it continued through all sorts of trials and tribulations. It continued as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years before they found their way to the land. It continued throughout the time of the judges. It continued when they developed their kingdoms. It even continued when the Assyrian Empire destroyed and dismantled the northern kingdom of Israel. And it even continued throughout the Babylonian exile, when they had learned new cultures and new traditions and were probably even shunned or even persecuted for following this festival as identifying as God's people. And then they came back from the Babylonian exile only under Persian regime control, and still the Passover meal persisted. And then the Greeks came in, and they desecrated the temple, and they put a statue of Zeus in the center. But the way they gathered around the table might have changed a little, but it was still the Passover meal. They had a few 30, 40 years together from 1600 to 160 to 140 where the Maccabeans, the Jews, were in charge of the land again, and it persisted, only to have the Roman Empire come in. And the Passover meal was still there. I mean, I just sent you the history of Israel for a a period of time, and and here Jesus gathers 1,300 years later with his faithful followers for that Passover meal. And I sent the narrative of the history just a little bit because I think it's vitally important for what Jesus now does at this meal with his disciples. Because just think about that framework that I just painted, right? Exodus from Egypt and captivity for a brief time, to then exile, to then Persian reign, to then Greek reign, to then Roman reign. The expectations of what the Messiah was supposed to do in this world were oh so high, right? 
He was supposed to be the king of kings, the lord of lords, the prince of peace, to set all wrongs right, which included, and we talk about this often during Advent season, the expectation that Jesus would save God's people from the regime or the regimes that had dominated them for most of their history as God's people. To free God's people from Rome. Just like the hope was to free God's people from the Greeks, the Persians, the Babylonians, the Syrians, the Egyptians. This Passover meal was a a hopeful one that God would send God's messenger. And just like the Spirit of God would pass over the house and free God's people, it would do the same for God's people now. And we talked about how that Passover meal, interestingly enough, throughout the generations and years has changed and adapted in different places, whether it's the Jewish people and the diaspora spread out in Germany, having lived through the Holocaust and the horrors of World War II, and the way the Passover meal changed amongst them there, or different places in the globe where they've seen persecution or challenges, the Passover meal has become a sign of hope for the future. And it's a real hope, a physical threat. This isn't just, I hope my job will be better tomorrow than it was yesterday. This is a threat on their very lives and a hope that God would save them. And so Jesus, right before the end, at this meal of hope, of what God can do and is hopeful God would do in the future, does exactly what one wouldn't expect him to do. He was the leader of this new empire, and as such, he gathers with his disciples on that last night, and instead of breaking into the feast and going through the ritual, he, in the Gospel of John, gets up and wraps a towel around himself. The scripture says he loves them to the end. And in ancient Greco-Roman culture, to show hospitality is something that everyone ought to do, right? If there's one thing that you can take away from this sermon is that we are meant to serve other people. And I think like many of us, one of the things that you do when someone comes into your house, you know, you first offer them, can I get you something to drink? Or if you're in a cold weather area where I grew up, it's like, can I take your coat, right? You know, what is it that you do when someone enters your house? You just try to give them hospitality because that's the first step to gather around the tables. Let them know that we're glad you're here. I mean, all people would have done that. That's just, you know, goes without mentioning. It was just part of the culture of the time. But what Jesus does here was not expected and not part of the culture of the time because Jesus was the important one. He was the head of the table, the one that people had gathered to come to listen to. He was the teacher, and for him to wash the feet of the disciples was unthinkable. Because washing feet was something that people would do during that time as a gesture of hospitality. It's kind of like the extra icing on the cake. Like, I busted out the 50-year-old wine from the cellar. I mean, I'm going to make you feel welcome. But it wasn't supposed to be the master of the house to do it. It was usually the job that was relegated to the slaves or the servants or the lowest of the lows within the house to do this job because it was a dirty job. I mean, they lived in the Middle East with sand. I mean, you'd wash your feet at night here in Hawaii with slippers on all the time, and you know just a taste of what that might be. 
It was to wash their feet. And you can feel this in the tension there, especially with Simon Peter, as he goes, wait, 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 no, 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 Jesus, you're not supposed to wash my feet, right? I mean, we're at the Passover meal, Jesus, and we believe that you are the one, that you are the one that we've been waiting for through the Babylonians, the Persians, the Assyrians, the Greeks, the Romans. We're waiting on you, and now you're doing this job for us? I mean, it's, it's hard to fathom. And, and listening to a podcast, one person described it as radical as the Queen of England coming and doing the dishes after eating at your house. I mean, that, that's how crazy it is to think about the act that Jesus is doing here to wash the disciples' feet, to love them to the end. But this is where when we gather around the table, the table of God, the table of Christ, there is a different sort of framework at work. That Jesus sets aside the expectations of him and instead embodies the role of a servant. That Jesus doesn't just be hospitable to those that gather around the table. Jesus goes to extra length to serve those that have gathered. And in fact, that's his entire mission. Their expectation was that Jesus would be a source of power, and he was, except he did it by serving and laying himself out for those that gathered around the table. And so for us, one of the things that, you know, we tend to do at dinner conversations or especially business ones, you know, try to put your best foot forward, you know, like make sure that people perceive you in the right way. But the question that we can learn for, or the thing that we can learn from this text is that the primary purpose of gathering around the table, for Jesus at least, was to serve those at the table with him. And he even says, I know you look at me as a teacher, but if I'm your teacher, you're going to do what I do. And he didn't sit himself at the head of the table and dictate the conversation. He served. And now here's the trick, too. He even served the one who had already set about betraying him. You know, he had even served the one that had, you know, bad-mouthed him to a friend or had gossiped behind their back or had, you know, outed them for a job that they were trying to get or, you know, whatever it was, you know, that person at the table that you just try to avoid conversations with altogether because you're just so angry with what they've done. He even served that person. And so one of the biblical things that we can learn is that the gathering around the table is how we find ourselves, like we root our identity. And that identity begins with not one of power, but one of service. So key takeaway for you is are you a type of person that's primary goal when you have friends at your house, when you meet with them at a dinner table, whatever it is, when you gather around the table, is your primary goal one of not just hospitality, but of service. 
And how does your service go beyond expectations of what you do? To really treat your guests and beyond your guests in ways that people otherwise, well, wouldn't have expected. I remember uh, I was in college in Southern California, and I was a little bit away from home, right? I grew up in Minnesota, and I was in Southern California. And one of the things when you go to college in a different place uh, that far away is that my parents said to me, uh, we will not fly you home for Thanksgiving. (laughs) It is too expensive. And so there I was. I know I talked about Thanksgiving a little bit last time. And there was, all of my friends were kind of in driving distance. Well, I guess some of them drove to Denver from Southern California. But still, they they made the trek. They got out of class on Tuesday, and they got in their cars, and they drove. And I was amongst a few people that was isolated there in Southern California. And I was a freshman in college, and I didn't know where I was going to go. And I just had happened, uh, just a few months earlier, had stumbled into this uh, friendship with my mentor who happened to be the department chair. And I, I think I've told this story. I, we were going to an Angels game. Like the entire university like, would book out Angels. I think now they do Dodgers. But they would all go get in buses and go to an Angels game. And you know, all the 50 buses of all the students that signed up to do this, right? And I got on the bus and literally sat down next to the department chair of, of the youth ministry program that I was in, right? And so it's just totally this divine moment of like, how did this happen? Uh, and it was just a couple months before Thanksgiving, and as we were getting closer, I I didn't really know what I was going to do, but I got a call, a text message actually from Steve, his name is Steve Drawley, and he goes, Brian, I want you to come to my house for Thanksgiving. I mean, he was a professor. I mean, he knew I was a student, but I wasn't like in his classes right now. There was no expectation that he needed to invite me to dinner. And he goes, I want you to come to dinner. I know that you're friends with my daughter, Andrea, who is also a freshman at the school. And I want you to be here with us because I know you're not able to be at home for this time. How many of us know someone like that here in Hawaii, right? How many of us know someone who's now a widower or or widowed or whose spouse is somewhere else because they still have to be working here and they want to be here and not be, you know, how many of us know someone who's isolated a little bit? Well, one of the things that we can take away from the lesson is not just welcoming those who are here, but reaching beyond and serving those, those other people that perhaps are unseen or don't have the table in their lives to gather around. And maybe not just stopping with feeding them, but asking them, how can I support you in your day-to-day? How can I help take care of you? And maybe it's going on a hike or going on a walk or providing a meal outside bringing it to their house. I I don't know what that looks like, but I, I wonder what it would look like if we began to ask that question of Jesus, or that Jesus seems to enact at the table. To serve is to love, and Jesus loved till the end. He laid himself out as he gathered around the table. So I think as we look, and especially as, you know, hopefully what we're going to do throughout later on in this month and into September is we want to do dinners of six, right? And that's a question I want to ask. As you gather at dinner with some people from the church that you didn't know before, maybe you did, to ask that question, 
of yourself. Just kind of be thinking about it. Remember, Jesus loved to the end. How am I going to serve the people at the table with me? And I wonder, it's not just in the dinners of six, I wonder what it would look like the next time you're out with your buddies from work or the next time you're out with your friends that you get together every single Friday for your brunch together. Or as you gather around the table, if you ask yourself, how can I serve the people at this table like Jesus served the disciples? I wonder where that would lead us. I'm sure it's going to lead to a place of hope, a place of, uh, of life, and it won't be maybe what we expected, but it certainly led Jesus to defeat the power of sin and death in this world, to wrong all the rights, or right all the wrongs, through not the sword, but through his service, beginning with those at the table, and then moving to those beyond. So, how do we live into this Passover hope? Well, we do it by loving each other, and we do it by serving each other. I invite you to pray with me. Holy and gracious God, we give you thanks for the example that Jesus set for us. With all of the expectations of power and kingdom building. Instead, he does the unthinkable and takes the role of a servant. He goes beyond the expectations of hospitality and even of service, of that of a teacher and pupils, a mentor and mentees. But makes a point to serve and to love to the end. Help us do that with those that are around our tables and our homes and our families. With a mindset of how might I serve the people I eat with most frequently. As well as all of the other tables that we gather around. Creating us an imagination of loving them and serving them like you have done for us so that together all the tables we find might be like that heavenly banquet that we anticipate and we hope for. So let it come here and now. Amen.